Would you turn in the scripture tonight to Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 5. We've been talking about it for weeks now. Hebrews 13, 5 says, let your conversation, another way of saying that is your way of life, the way you live, your manner of life, let it be, what? Without covetousness. Say that out loud. Without covetousness. The Lord tells you and me that there's something he wants our life to be completely free from. He doesn't want, he doesn't want a little of this. He doesn't want any of this. Any of what? One place in the Psalms, it talks about the Lord abhorring covetousness. I'm telling you, dislike is not strong enough word. The Lord detests, despises, abhors the stuff. Well, if you love the Lord and you want to please him, then that ought to be enough for you. And then here's as straightforward a statement as he could make. I want your entire life to be what? Without this. Well, if that's so, and it is, then we ought to be on the quest to find out, well, what is this stuff? This ugly, stinking stuff that God despises. That he didn't want a drop of in my life. What is it? Let me find out about it. Let me see if there's any in here. And by the grace of God get it out. And then live in such a way that we keep clear. And free from covetousness. Let your life be without covetousness. So what is covetousness? Let me uh, remind you of the definition. To covet literally means to desire something. To desire. Another definition is to delight in. Another one is to long for, to sigh for, to set the heart on. Desire something, long for something, sigh. Sometimes the word pine is used. To pine or sigh. Long for, you're looking at something, you want, like we'd say in the South, wanting, you want it bad. Oh, I want it. Coveting it. So basically that's to do with a desire, longing for something. Now, you have to rightly divide the word because there are times that the word uses the word covet. The Bible uses the word covet in a positive sense. How many remember the scripture says covet earnestly? The best gifts are you to desire earnestly, long for, set your heart on the manifestation of God. Yeah, you are. But then there are other things that you're not to long for. Can a Christian long for something they should not? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because see, when you got born again, it wasn't your body that got born again. Have you found that out? It wasn't your mind that got born again. It was your spirit. The inner man became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Born again. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. But that's on the inside. Immediately he tells you that we need to get our mind renewed. So that we think right. And that we're to keep our body under control. So yeah. You can long for something. You can want something you're not supposed to want. And long for Now listen to these scriptures in uh, Exodus. You don't have to turn there, but just reviewing a little bit for those of you that weren't with us. Exodus 20.17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is your neighbor's. The Living Bible says you must not be envious of your neighbor's house, or want to sleep with his wife, or want to own his slaves, or oxen, or donkeys, or anything else that he has. If something is somebody else's, that's all you need to know. You're not to desire it. Are we clear on that now? This is one of the commandments, you know that. The tenth commandment. He didn't say try not to. That's an issue I have with a lot of these modern translations. Have you seen it? 
they've changed what the Lord said. And when he said do this or don't do that, they'll say try not to. That's a big mistake. I said that's a big mistake. The Lord will never tell you try to do something. Because that implies you might not be able to. And why would he say that? Wouldn't he know whether you could or not? Then he doesn't talk like that. He already knows whether you can do it or not. And based on what he knows, he tells you. He didn't say try not to covet other people's stuff. What did he say? Don't do it. So can you keep yourself from wanting other people's stuff? Yeah, you can. And when you know God and you have some faith, why do you have to want their stuff? God will give you your own. Right? Why you got to long after their used stuff? God will give you brand new. God will give you your own. But it is a big issue. It's a big problem. Listen to Deuteronomy 5.21. Deuteronomy 5.21. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. It says, neither shall you desire your neighbor's wife. Now see, Exodus says covet. Deuteronomy says desire. Don't desire your neighbor's wife. Neither shall you covet your neighbor's house, his field, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox ass, or anything that is your neighbor's. The Living Bible says, you must not burn with desire for another man's wife, or envy him for his home, or his land, or servants, or oxen, or donkeys, or anything else that he owns. If it is theirs... You must not allow yourself to desire it at all. How many believe this now? I know I'm sounding redundant, but it's a big issue. Oh, I wish it wasn't so. That so many times Christians, you know, get their eyes on other people's stuff. Get their eyes on somebody else's position. Somebody else's job. Somebody else's place in the company or or in the church, or, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And I've had people come to me and say, well, you know, I just believe so-and-so's in my place, and they're holding me back from doing what God wanted me to do. That's a bunch of junk. Bunch of junk. God told Joshua, there shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. If you'll obey God, he's bigger than men. Come on now, he's bigger than governments and economies. I've had people come to me crying, well, God told me to go to Africa, and I can't go. I've been trying to go for 10 years, and I can't get enough money to go. I don't feel bad. (laughs) You got the same God I do. You got the same God any minister, any man, any woman of God has. Right? If he wants you there, he is well able to get you there. I've had preachers come to me and cry, well, the people won't help me. They won't get behind the vision. They won't help me, and the churches won't help me, and the people won't get behind it. Well, first problem, you got your eyes on them. That's the problem. And that's why people get into putting pressure on each other. Oh, y'all got to give. If y'all don't give, we ain't going to make it. It ain't going to work if y'all don't give. Y'all don't give. And most Christians agree with that, but they don't think it applies to them. So they turn around and put pressure on their boss. Or they put pressure on customers. Put pressure trying to sell something. Put pressure trying to get a contract. Put pressure, you got to give me a raise, you got to give me a raise. No, they don't got to. And people find that out all the time. They don't got to. First mistake, you shouldn't be putting pressure on them. Faith puts pressure on nobody. Faith puts pressure, never puts pressure on anybody. No. Why? Because you don't have your eyes on men and women. You got your eyes on the Lord. And he can use whoever he wants to. And if the first one he deals with don't want to do it, he'll use somebody else. He has lots of folk he can use. He has lots of ways he can do it. And so you never get hopeless and discouraged because you think somebody's not obeying God because everything's not riding on them. I don't know at the times that I've had people tell me things they were going to do for the ministry. (laughs) 
We had more than one person tell us they're going to pay this church off. Almost before we got going good. Well, that would have been great. But I'm kind of glad it worked the way it did. I've had people tell me, you know, they're going to come bring us, you know, $5 million, $10 million. They're going to come do this. They're going to underwrite this. They're going to underwrite that. And uh, when they say it, I'm excited. But I was excited before they got there. Somebody said, you believe it's happening? Absolutely. Now, whether it's them or not, I never let myself get my eyes on any individual about anything. If they want to obey God, great. If God deals with them, great. If not, I'm not going to be disappointed and shattered. Why? Because I wouldn't look into them to start with. And I can still be excited about it because I'm believing for it anyway. Do you see that now? It saves you from uh, confusion and disappointment and Every other thing. Say it out loud. My eyes are not on men. My eyes are on the Lord. Always on Him. And He never fails. People can be unreliable. People can disobey God. People can be unfaithful. But not God. Not God. Trust Him and you'll not be ashamed. You'll never be disappointed trusting God. Would you turn with me, please, to the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter, Galatians 5 and 16. He said, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, we're talking about being without covetousness. How can we be free from covetousness? title of the message tonight is The Cure for Covetousness. So how can we be free? Here's one thing. Do what? Not just don't do this. Do something else that occupies you and fills you. You know why we're all here tonight focusing on the Word. We're not on the internet watching pornography. We can't do that while we're doing this. So why did you say that? Well, because that is feeding the desire of your flesh for sex, for whatever. And if you feed it, it's going to get stronger. And that's why we've got so many people that are so tormented in these areas because they feed these other desires night and day. And now they are so strong, they're just controlling their, they're controlled by their desires. Well, you can feed your good desires. You can feed desire for God. You can feed desire to pray and to get in the Word and to love God and love people and give to people. And you can feed that until it gets so strong in you that it displaces the other lesser, weaker desires. I do all the drugs I want to do. I'm having all the affairs I want to have. Somebody said, well, why do you say that? I don't have a desire to do drugs. Somebody says, well, you're just blessed like that. No, I have fed the desire for God for decades now. And I haven't fed desire for drugs at all. Can you see that now? So I got zero desire to get high on drugs. Because I got the real thing. I can get higher in God than any drug could ever take me. Without those side effects. And the morning after. I'm stealing all I want to. Which is none. And I don't want to. Oh, do you hear what I'm talking about? What? I'm just saying that a different way. What is it? If you walk in the Spirit. Now, don't let that be weird to you. What does that mean? Feed your inner man. Follow what you get in your inner man. Starve the wrong desires of the outer man. 
If you're always feeding the inner man, feeding the inner man, feeding the inner man, and walking in that, you will automatically not do the wrong stuff. Because you'll be occupied with the right. I call it the law of displacement. You ever had a glass, had some milk in it? Put it in the sink, put the faucet over it, turn the water on, and it runs into the glass. What happens? You got milk and water. But you just leave it running. What happens? Starts overflowing the side, then what? It gets lighter. Less milk, more water. Less milk, more water. Less milk, more water. Less milk, hardly any milk. Nothing but water. And that's what he's saying. Full of God. How many remember Jesus talking about a person being delivered from demonic influence? And then he talked about how on occasions that somebody could wind up in worse shape than before they got set free. How's that possible? Well, for one thing, you got a will. And it's up to you what you're going to feed and what you're going to follow. And he said what happened, though, is that the spirit that was governing him and affecting him came back and brought seven others more wicked than himself and entered in. He found the place swept, garnished, and what? Empty. Empty. That's the problem. That's why it could get back in, because it hadn't been filled up with God. Life doesn't suffer vacuums. Something's going to fill it. You're going to feel, you You know, a lady, uh, one time I was ministering to her, oh, this was nearly 20 years ago, and she had been in and out of mental institutions and just had terrible mental problems. And the Lord dealt with me to take her to Joshua 1, where he told him, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you'll meditate in it night and day. That you'll observe to do it, you'll make your way prosperous, you'll have good success. And I began talking to her about that. She looked at me, she said, you can't do that. You can't think on the word of God night and day. I said, well, first of all, who said this? I didn't say this. Who said this? Would he know whether you could do this or not? Would he have told you to do it and you couldn't do it? No. So him telling you to do it would lead me to believe you can do it. She said, well, you can't. And the Lord showed me something just like that. I said, no, sister, listen. You are already meditating something night and day. It's not a matter of can you meditate on something night and day. You're already thinking on something. And it's obvious it's been the wrong thing. Or you wouldn't be in and out of the institutions. The Bible said, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. It's not a matter of can you think on something. You're already thinking on something. He's just talking about replacing it with the right thing. Oh, can you see that? Fill your life with God. Fill your life with godly people. Fill your life with godly fellowship. Godly things. God-oriented. God-emphasized. Love and faith. Peace and healing and prosperity and fill your life with that until there's no room for the other stuff. Come on now. We had a lady at healing school one time. She was gloriously healed of what was called terminal cancer. They said she just had actually surprised she wasn't already dead. And she's in the last stages of this thing. And she came and she stayed for a long time, months. And I mean, you could see her blossom like a flower in the sunshine. She looked like death warmed over when she first got there, as they say. Looked like she would fall off the seat just any moment. But I'm telling you, in a matter of days, her color began to come back. She began to sit up in the chair a little straighter. She was wheezing and making all kind of noise. She began to get stronger, and that was less. And in a matter of months, she just looked wonderful and radiant. And she went back and got a clear bill. And, and we said, you got to testify. You know, tell what God is. And this is what she said. I just got so full of the word, there was no more room for the cancer. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, yeah. Yeah, you did. She got so full of life, there was no more room for the death. Oh, can you see it? How can I keep 
from walking in perversion and following wrong desire. Well, all that is walking in the flesh. How can I keep from doing it? Walk in the spirit. But we need teaching on that, though, because when people hear walk in the spirit, they think, whoo, I'm floating in the spirit. No, no. It works into daily living. It has to do with the inner man instead of the outer man. You are a spirit. And the Holy Spirit, a person, is inside you. So how do we do that? You, uh, you starve the wrong desires. Cut off anything that feeds a desire that's wrong. Now, it's up to you whether you're going to do that or not. A lot of people won't do it, and so they're going to have trouble. But if you want to make it easy on yourself, cut it off. And it may bother you for a little bit if you fed it for a long time, but if you cut it off, it'll get weaker and weaker and weaker. Next thing you know, you'll go all day and not even think about it. That's freedom, friend. Next thing you know, you'll go weeks and not even think about it. You can be free, but you've got to cut off what's feeding it. But don't just do that. What do you do? You turn around and you feed the good desires. You feed them, feed them, and they'll get stronger and stronger until you get some hunger for God. You'll get up in the middle of the night and pray in the nighttime. You get some hunger for God, you never miss church. You get some hunger for God, you read your chapter every day and then some. You get some hunger for God? Why? Well, you fed it and it grew. That's a spiritual law. Feed it and it grows. Good or bad. But now with that in mind, I want you to look at something else. Go with me, if you would, to uh, 2 Samuel 13. 2 Samuel 13. This is such a perfect picture of covetousness. 2 Samuel 13, 1. It came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. He what? And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar. For she was a virgin and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. Have you read this story before? So you know the story. About how that he had a subtle crafty friend. Named Jonadab right? You know subtle is a word used for the devil. Tricky. Watch about these whisperers. These people that come by and show you a way to go around it. A way to get in under the door. Well, come, come here, come here, let me tell you this. Now, see, what you can do is you can go behind their back and you can do this and this. And, and there's a and you think, man, I hadn't thought about that. That's, that's uh, crafty. <laughs> that's uh, it's kind of tricky. Then it ain't God. I said it's not God. It's the devil who is subtle. And Jonadab, his friend, came and told him, he said, well, I'll tell you what you can do. Because, see, they kept the girls, the unmarried girls, were in a completely different house. And they didn't have any social intermingling. But he told him, here's what you do. He says, you know, because he asked him, why are you so sick? Keep reading that. Verse 4, he said, why are you being the king's son lean from day to day? He had lost weight. Why? Love sick, exactly. Somebody say love sick. Have you heard that term before? What does that mean? So and so, yeah, coveting is right. He's coveting her. But love sick. Have you heard that phrase before? Oh, they're love sick. Well, what do you mean love sick? What is love? God is love. So how does it sound to say God's sick? That don't sound right. What you begin to get immediately is a revelation that this has nothing to do with love. People call it love, but it has nothing to do 
with love. And so much of what the world calls love is the farthest thing from love. One big problem is that the world uses love and sex interchangeably. And sex is not love. In marriage, it can be an expression of love, but sex is not love. Can we talk about what's in the Bible? Okay. Jonah Deb came and he said, here's what you do. He said, you're already sick, so this will work. You lay down and we'll let word get back to your daddy, King David, that you're sick. And he'll want to check on you. And when he does, he'll come and want to know what can he do for you. Poor baby, he feels bad. So King David came and he looked at him and he put his hand on his forehead. He said, man, what's wrong with you? He said, I just haven't been doing good. I'm feeling bad. He said, well, you've lost weight. Yeah, I've been sick. What can I do for you? Anything make you feel better? He said, no, not that I know of. Oh, well, you know, Tamar makes such good bread. If you could have her make me some fresh bread and bring it to me, I think that would make me feel better. Devilish. Well, he said, yeah, sure, sure, we'll do that. So he sent her in. And you know the story. She went and did it. She brought it in. She brought out the food. He had everybody leave the room. He said, bring it over here to the bed. And when she did, he grabbed hold of her to force her. And she said, please, please don't do this. Please. She said, how will this affect me? That I'll no longer be a virgin. And how will it affect you? You'll look like a fool. With your half sister. But he wouldn't listen. Verse 14. Howbeit he would not hearken to her voice. But being stronger than her. She forced her and lay with her. He raped her. Because he loved her. That's what he said though right? He He loved her so much. He was love sick. And he was vexed. Now friend, there's a reason why I'm going over this slowly. Real love doesn't vex you. Real love, notice what it said back up in the uh, second verse. He was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Ammon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. Real love is not out to do something to somebody. This had nothing to do with love. What was it? He coveted her, didn't he? He longed for her. He pined for her. Should he have desired her? No. He should not have desired her, but he did. Can a person long for something it's not right for them to have? Can a Christian long for something? And then you hear people talk about this husband gets involved with this other man's wife and vice versa. And they talk about, well, we fell in love. No, you didn't. I'm sorry. What do you mean? Feelings of infatuation about somebody is not love. I love you. I need you. Has got nothing to do with love. I love you. I've got to have you. I love you. I can't live without you. I love you. I need you. Do you hear how much I there is in that? I, I, I. It's all about how you make me feel, what you do for me. What you're saying is I love what you do for me got not a thing to do with you loving them oh can you see this now because see love could not have done this to this young girl if you cared about her you would care about her feelings you would care about her heart her emotions her body you would care about her life after this how this is going to affect her The Bible said you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Well, why would he say that? Well, dear me, 
Adultery is rampant. Well, why? Love, no matter how attractive you might think somebody is, love can't do it. Why? It's going to hurt. So many times you'll see friends that get involved with each other's spouses. Right? They're fellowshipping one day, and the next day they're involved with each other's spouse. Love couldn't do that. Love couldn't sit down with a man and eat lunch with him and talk about stuff and then sleep with his wife the next day. Love can't do that. If you care an ounce about the man, you cannot do that. Love can't go shopping a woman with another woman friend and then meet her husband at a motel the next day. Love can't do that. Are you with me now? So though he calls this love, it's not love. It's just lust. It's coveting. Now why am I saying that? This is covetousness. We're talking about he was he deceived himself. He was blind to this whole thing. Wasn't he? He convinced himself he's in love with this girl. Now read it again in verse 14. He wouldn't listen to her. She's pleading with him. He's got her by the wrist. He's forcing her into the bed. She said, please, please, don't do this thing. Please, she's begging him. And he wouldn't listen to her. He forced her. Verse 15, and what? Then Amnon, what? Hated her exceedingly. See, what the world calls love can change to hate just like that. But God, who is love, Cannot change. Can you say amen? Aren't you glad? We can know real love. True love. Oh, thank God for real love. True love that's around tomorrow. Love that cannot do its neighbor any evil or harm. Oh, there's nothing greater than this love. Real love. Why am I talking about? I'm talking about the cure for covetousness. What could have kept this man from coveting this woman and damaging her life and destroying her like this? What could have kept him if he'd have loved her? If he'd have really cared about her? It would have been stronger than his physical passion. How do you not yield to wrong desires? You have right desires that are stronger. What could keep me as a man from messing up? Messing up my marriage. Messing up my friendships. Messing up my ministry. What can keep it? If I was tempted. If I was pulled. What could keep me? Loving Phyllis. Saying I can't hurt her. Seeing your face going I can't betray the people's confidence. Did you hear me? If that's strong enough in me. It'll help me control my flesh. Oh, can you see this now? See, listen to the different. Covetousness is selfishness. Completely. The love of God is not selfish and not self-seeking. It is completely selfless. Covetousness and selfishness is perfectly willing for you to suffer or for you to sacrifice so I can get what I want. If it costs you, okay, as long as I get what I want. And I don't know the world is full of it. Oh, and it's devilish and it's ugly. People are willing to step on people on their way up the ladder of success. They're willing to stab people in the back. They don't care what it costs anybody else and what kind of aftermath they leave behind. What kind of wake of destruction they leave behind them as long as I get what I want. That's completely ungodly. That's completely un-Christ-like. The Bible says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of the... We're Christians, Christians. He is the exact opposite of that. Completely willing to sacrifice everything so you could get something. So I could get something. 
And that is our call. That is our core. That is the nature of the new creation. Perfectly willing for it to cost us if it helps you. How is the cure for covetousness? I was so glad the Lord let us sow this aircraft. Every time you sow, especially the bigger you sow, it's an exercise of your spirit and your faith. I've had not one moment regret or second thought about that thing. Not a moment. So excited about that. But it's an opportunity for me to prove that that wasn't too important to me. Yeah, I rely on it every week. But I rely on God. And it was an opportunity for me to prove this is not too important to me. I can sow this in the blink of an eye. And an exercise in not being covetous. And if you go all the way with God, you will experience this. God will put his hand on your Isaac. Just like with Abraham. He'll put his finger and his hand on your Isaac and he'll say, sow that. And when you first hear it, you go, ooh, that. But if you're smart, if you're smart, you'll know God never told you to do that. Without, he's got a plan, ooh, that'll shake you and excite you when you find out about it. But see, you need these, and I, all of us need these exercises of demonstrating we love him and we love other people more than ourselves. You need to exercise every day of putting your, what the Bible say, prefer your brother, honor your brother more than yourself. Well, that's, you got talking and then you got doing. And what does that mean? It means you are willing for it to discomfort you and inconvenience you and to cost you in order for them to be benefited. Can you say amen? amen. We're talking about real love. Real giving. This man didn't love her. He just wanted something from her. But he called it love. He said he was so in love. He had fallen head over heels. He was so in love. He was love sick. And pined away. Well he's sighing after her. He's longing after her. But he doesn't love her at all. As soon as he got what he wanted from her. The Bible said he hated her. The next moment. And he sent her out of the room with her clothes tore off. And said, get this woman out of here. I don't want to see her again. There ain't no love there. Love could never do that. People talk about social reform. They talk about how to deal with crime. They talk about all these things. There is only one solution. One. Get to God. Get full of God. Who is love. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Rather than cost you something, love will pay for it itself. Love will take the bullet instead of you. Love went to the cross so you wouldn't have to. Love bore the sin. That's the law of the Christ. That's the law of love. Somebody said, and that's me. Say it out loud. That's how I live. I am perfectly willing. To sacrifice, to be inconvenienced, so that someone else can benefit. Well, can't just be talk. There's got to be actual cases and situations day in, day out. If you're willing, God will show you. He'll put his finger. He'll show you when and how. And you go, yeah, but I'll have to. Yeah, you will. And I won't get to and I won't have. Yeah. Maybe for a few days. Right? But you will have shown beyond any question that you love God and you love them more than you. Right? And you are not ruled by covetousness. But your love of God shed abroad in your heart and it governs you. And the love of God constrains you, compels you, directs you. Look in uh, one more situation Along this line. Look in 1 Kings. Young people. Don't let anybody pressure you. Well if you love me. We love each other. So if you love me. Let's have sex. No. If they love you. 
They will wait on you. They'll show respect to you and your people and your parents. Did you hear me? They will wait and they will wait and they will control their self. If they love you, they're willing to pay prices so you can have it better. Somebody wanting something from you does not love you. They love their self. Only. Well, in 1 Kings 21, another such a picture-perfect example of covetousness. How many understand if you're going to be free from something, you've got to know what it is, what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it smells like, so that when you see it and hear it and smell it, you go, oh, not in me. No, I'm not having any of that junk. No. And you resist it. And you give it no place. First Kings 21, are you there? Yes. We having fun yet? Somebody said, well, Brother Keith, you talked about rape. No, I read the Bible. People are afraid of these things, and that's why it's so much ignorance. 1 Kings 21. Here's something else. It came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which is in Jezreel, hard by the palace, in other words, right next door, to Ahab, king of Samaria. Whose vineyard was it? Naboth's. He had a vineyard. And Ahab spoke to Naboth and he said, uh, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a garden of my herbs. See, he had been out there looking around his garden and there was this prime piece of property right next door to his and he just saw what he could do with that. Man, I can expand and I can do this and I can do that. And he's already got all his plans. First big mistake. Beware of dreaming up a bunch of plans and it has to do with other people's stuff. Beware of it. Don't let yourself go down that path. And so he said, uh, I will give you a better piece of property for it. If it's good to you, I'll give you money. I'll pay you whatever you want for it. He's already decided this is mine. I'm going to get it one way or the other. He's already decided. But was it his? It wasn't his. It was Naboth's. And he's longing for it. He's desiring it. He's coveting it. And Naboth said to Ahab, now this is the one of the subjects talking to his king. So he's already in an awkward position. He's looking up to the guy sitting on the throne there. And he says, well, sire, the Lord forbids it me. What does that mean? The Lord won't let me do it. He didn't just say, I don't want to do it. What did he say? The Lord forbids it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to thee. And actually in Numbers 36, 7, that is the law. The Lord gets in the word. He gave that to them and it was supposed to stay in the family. And that's what he, not just saying I got a revelation. He's got chapter and verse. Right. Revelation. And uh, he said, I'm sorry, but I can't. Uh, It's against the word. It's against the Lord's instruction. I can't do it. And Ahab said, okay. And he let him go. And verse 4. And Ahab came into his house heavy. What is that? Hmm? Heavy. What's that? Depressed. Are you seeing... Similar to this other situation. Come on guys now. Are y'all with me on this? This is so important. How can you not be covetous? For one thing. Learn the beginning symptoms. Learn when it starts. Man God's helping us with this tonight guys. What is it like? Well. Your feathers fall. You had plans. You had it all worked out. You had drawn it out on the paper and you were going to put your peach trees over here and we were going to put a gazebo over here and koi pond over here. He came home and he was what? Heavy, displeased because the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him for he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down on his bed. 
And he turned his face away and would eat no bread. <laughs> what? What's he doing? Yeah, somebody say, whiny baby. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> or worse. What's he doing? He's pouting. But now, do you see how a lot of people would see this with a fellow Christian? Somebody has gone and laid down and they feel hurt and pitiful. And see, modern churchianity teaches you to go in there and hug them and say, well, bless your heart. I don't know why they wouldn't sell that to you because I know, you know, we prayed about it and you claimed it and we were believing God and. I don't know. <laughs> hey, this kind of stuff goes on all the time. Somebody said, yeah, but they were just sinner people, so it's all right to claim their stuff. Says who? Well, they go to a different church from ours. They don't believe like we do. <laughs> Thank God they don't believe like that. You don't claim other people's stuff. Ever. Ever. You don't. And you don't let yourself go off and make all these plans. I've seen people do that concerning the person they thought they were going to marry. Oh boy, I got quiet when I said that. It's like... <laughs> don't even know them. Uh, some people, they hadn't even met them. They're just seen them across the way and they've already got a 20 year plan. They know where they're going to live and how many kids they're going to have and what they're going to name them. And that's ignorance. That ain't vision and faith. It's ignorance. So, so I claim them and they got to come. Oh, no, they don't. If they got any sense, they'll run from you. Well, it's the will of God. That don't mean they got to come. I don't care if it's a perfect will of God. Well, you could talk about a lot of things right here, couldn't you? Notice the symptoms of covetousness. What is it? This depression. This feeling sorry for yourself. Going, pulling the blinds and getting a cool cloth on your head. and Laying across the bed. And what's it about? What they didn't do for me. What they wouldn't give me. And they wouldn't help me. And they wouldn't let me have it. And they went, childish, devilish. Because notice what happened next. And you see, this is the breeding ground for sin. Sin and destruction and devilish activity. Well, his wife comes in. Anybody know who she was? Jezebel. <laughs> that old Jezebel. She's a bad old Jezebel. Mm. She came in and she said, baby, why, why are you so sad? You didn't eat your food. He's eating this up. He's going, no. I baby, baby, you didn't. What's wrong? Now, I know I keep coming back to this, but Christians do this to each other. They come and support covetousness. What's wrong with you? Well, they're sad and they're down and depressed. Okay, but why? I'm about to go over that slowly. Well, Brother Keith, if they're down, they need to be cheered up and encouraged. First of all, why are they down? You don't just go in there blind and assume they need to be encouraged. In what? Why are they down? You know right away they're not in faith. And how much worse does it go from there? Why are they depressed? Listen, guy, don't let your children... Stomp in and slam the door and lay up there in the bed and pout and sulk for half a day. Don't you allow that. Do not allow that in your house. 
No excuse for that. I don't care if you're 10 or if you're 100. No excuse. The moment you let your stuff start thinking about what somebody didn't do for me or should have done for me or won't let me do or is in my way, you are wrong. The, I don't care about any of the rest of it. You know you're wrong on that. He's piled up in the bed there. Feeling bad and sorry and low. Won't eat. Sounds like Amnon. What's his problem? It's full of covetousness. It's coveting this man's property. Jezebel came in there and said. What's wrong baby? He said. Nabal won't sell me his vineyard. Of course, he said it with his head in the pillow, and she couldn't hear him the first time. She knelt and she said, What'd you say, baby? What? Naboth won't sell you what? His vineyard. You want neighbor's vineyard? That's right. You had all those plans, didn't you? grown man king how many understand that I'm sure there are 10,000 things he ought to be doing taking care of his country helping his people instead of laying up in here feeling sorry for himself because he ain't got another piece of property that's how the devil works though you notice this the moment you start that way you are not thankful you're unthankful He's not thanking God. The man's got vineyards and orchards out the ears. He's got stuff everywhere. And now the day has gone dark and his sun has gone down because he doesn't have this piece of property. This is the only one that matters to me now. And Jezebel comes in there and pets this powder. Said out loud, don't. Pet. Pet. Powders. Powders. Don't. I think sometimes people have been surprised by our reaction to some things. But it's because of this. Somebody really hurting and it's a real situation. It's time to be kind. And it's time to have faith. Somebody's doing this. It ain't time to coddle them. It's time to lead them in repentance. But you, you, have you read this story? She said, well now, wait just a minute here baby. You're the king. You the king. You want that property? Mm-hmm. You get up and eat your food, baby. I'll take care of this for you. I'll get you your property. See, covetousness is willing to sacrifice anybody and anything long as I get what I want. If it ruins somebody else's marriage, if it ruins their business, if it ruins their reputation, whatever, long as I get what I want. That's devilish, man. She went. You can see the devil in this man. I mean, she went and called a celebration to honor Naboth. And she made a public spectacle out of it. So everybody saw Naboth. Everybody knew about it. And then in the middle of it, she told a bunch of lies on him. And their adoration turned to hate just like that. And they brought him before judges. And they found him guilty. And they executed him. They stoned him. And killed the man over nothing. He'd done nothing wrong. Nothing. And she comes back in and says, guess what, baby? You got your land. He knew. And yet he's glad. They got their land. Well, the man of God came up right after that and said, the dog's going to lick your blood. On the street corner. Told Ahab what's going to happen to him. And one of the amazing things at the end of this chapter, Ahab repented. And God said, well, you see how he humbles himself and how he's repented? I'm not going to let this come on him in his lifetime. After all that, the mercy of God. When you really repent. Now, Jezebel didn't repent. Next thing you know, 
dogs are licking her blood on the street corner and they couldn't find her because the dog took an ear this way and one took a finger that way and they could <laughs> that's right that's what happened couldn't find her that's what happened to Jezebel's aren't you glad you nodded Jezebel <laughs> Woo. I better give you some New Testament good news before we, <laughs> I think that'd be a good idea for, before we finish this up. Come on over then <laughs> to uh, two places. We're going to uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 12 and 1 John 3. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 John 3. I think we can close with this. What's the cure for covetousness? We've seen a number of things. They interlap. We saw uh, walk in the Spirit. Get full of God. Get full of good things. Feed your good desires. And among that has to do with the love of God. And if you love God and you love people more, you'll be able to control yourself. Because you will refuse, no matter what you want, you will refuse to do anything that hurts somebody and takes something from somebody. Right? Yeah, everybody say, that's me. That's me. You remember Romans, uh, he said, love works no ill to his neighbor, neighbors, whoever's around you. Love refuses to. Man, you get this strong enough in you, it bothers me that people have lost some things in our generation. Just out in public, people will elbow each other and just push each other around and act like there's nobody there but them. Love won't do that. Love won't even get in your space. And may love will sit like this through half the flight. So you can have more arm room. Someone says, well, it aggravated me because they didn't give me enough. You're not listening. Love will be inconvenienced. Love will sacrifice so that somebody else can have comfort. Can have, did I say something wrong? Well, I must sound like I lost half the crowd right there on that, <laughs> over that airplane seat deal. <laughs> well, if you can't walk in love on an airplane seat, how are you going to do the rest? I know what I'm talking about. I did it for years. I have ridden this way I don't know how many hours. Most says, why? I'm a witness. Sound like I need to start over right here. <laughs> you're a witness. Somebody says, yeah, I know I try to preach to everybody. No, you're not listening. You can preach and then be annoying and drag your bag over everybody's head and, you know, spread out and your words mean nothing. Nothing. It's obvious you're selfish and all you care about is your space and what you want. Love demonstrates in preferring people. Come on, you take it. Come on, you do it. I'll wait. I'll wait. Knowing God will take care of you. Now you need to be led in all things, but love's going to lead you along these paths. Man, I like this verse right here. I can hear the love of God manifested in Jesus, the love that God is, Manifested through Paul here. I like the way it said. This is a creed for all of us. Second Corinthians 12. Are you there? Second Corinthians 12. These people had been speaking against Paul. And some of the very people he got saved, they got saved to God and he taught. Now they have decided they found something better than Paul. And they've left him. They've got them some new apostles. You read this and you'll see what. I mean they were writing him off. They were saying negative things about him. But what would love do with that? Love just still wants to give to you. Wants you to be blessed no matter what. Second Corinthians 12. And uh, 14. He is telling them that he is well, let me back up to verse 11, get this whole picture. He said, I am become a fool in glorying, 2 Corinthians 12, 11. Uh, you've compelled me. 
I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. How many know that's absolutely a fact? These other guys, they were calling apostles. Couldn't hold a light for Paul to preach by. It would have been a promotion for them to carry his briefcase. I'm serious. But yet they were so ignorant. You know, now think about this. So many times people have greatness in their midst and they do not see it. They do not see it until after things are gone and people are gone. They just do not see it because they got this goofy idea about what's spiritual and what is not. See, we think the Apostle Paul, oh man, I'd just love to be with him and help him. They were with him. They saw him years at a time. And a bunch of them decided he wasn't spiritual enough for them. And left him. They had some new apostles. But notice what he said. He said, uh, verse 14, behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome to you. Oh, do you hear that? He said, I'm going to come, but I'm not going to be a burden to you. He said, for I seek not yours, but you. I don't want your stuff. You. Looking out for you. For the children ought not lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend... And be spent for you. Even though the more abundantly I love you, looks like the less you love me, the less I'll be loved. Oh, do you see this? Is this the law of Christ? Is this the heart of the master? Is he walking like the master? Oh, yeah. Didn't you say, I'll pay it. I'll sacrifice. No, I will very gladly. Oh, oh, glory. Are you excited about this at all? I'm t- this is a life of total victory. Total. No, that's what he said. Because you hear people talking about this. How many remember 1 Corinthians 13 where he talked about, Though I give all of my goods to the poor, and I give my body to be burned, and don't have love, it profits me nothing. Can you give a bunch of stuff and it not be love? Yeah, Yeah, you can. Why? Well, you want something. You want recognition. People give just for uh, PR, public relations. They want to be known. They want to be seen. They're trying to buy something. And they get no reward for that. It profits them absolutely nothing. The only motivation is that whoever is receiving gets benefit. You want to see them get, enjoy it. Now you can believe for a harvest, but your motivation is that they enjoy it. You get joy out of them having joy. That's what prosperity is all about. About having the physical resources. I should say abundant resources to physically demonstrate the love of God to other people. That's why we're believing to be rich, 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 rich. Why? More abundant resources to physically demonstrate the love of God to other people. Man, you hadn't had fun till you pay off somebody's car, till you pay off a house, till you, oh, you talk about fun. Oh, so a jet. You did. How many got seed in that? Let me see. You got seed. You sowed it. So now you should be in faith. Because you know what we're believing now is for the best equipment in that category. You should be believing for the best equipment in whatever you're doing. Your personal life, your business, right? Because now it's a twice sown seed. You sowed it there, it multiplied. Now we're sowing it again for it to multiply again. We're going somewhere, guys. We're going somewhere. He said in NIV, he said, I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and spend myself. NAS says, I will most gladly spend and be expended. 
William said, I will most happily spend my money and myself for your sakes. Notice, not I'll just do it. What? I will gladly do it. Jesus paid more than a bill. But the Bible said he endured the cross. You know, despising the shame. He endured it. How? For the joy that was set. But he did it gladly. He gladly paid the price. He spent everything he had and everything he was. He gave it. He paid it all. And he did it gladly. Somebody said, I can do that. I can live like that. I will live like that. See, when you are living like this, you are without covetous. Can you see that? God's got us there to the point now. When you're living like that, you are without covetousness. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Well, that's the good place to stop right there. Stand on your feet. Glory to God. Oh, bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Lift up your hands. Begin to praise the Lord. Give him thanks. Give him glory. Lord, we worship you. You are so good. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. Oh, we worship you. We worship you. We worship you. Oh, lift up your hands, lift up your hearts, your voices. Lord, you loved us so much. You gladly, freely, willingly gave. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we bless you. We bless you. We praise you. We give you glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.